Welcome or welcome back to Biracial and Bitchy, a show about holding multiple identities and reconciling them into one strong sense of self. And now your host, Nisha Balsara. Kem Cho and welcome back. Sorry we didn't have a podcast last week. We have a lot of things we are juggling and I say we because this episode, I am joined by my husband, Jesse Rappaport. Hey Jesse, how are you doing? Thank you for having me. Good to be back. Is this my this is my third episode? I don't know, but you're going to get spun in here whenever I want you to. Do you want to tell people why you're here? I'm a filmmaker by training, and uh, part of being a filmmaker is you start to see stories and things. You have a story about kind of your whole journey into this and where you're at now doing this podcast that I've been trying to tease out of you for quite a while. I am ready to be teased, tickled, titillated with the the whatever you've come up with. Uh, Jesse actually has a podcast called Still Cherried, which was super cool. Uh, he interviewed people about bad times, failures, really hard periods of their life, and what kept them burning. Still Cherried, the reference to the burning ashes. And... It was really cool what you did with that. I think it's really neat. If you're wanting to take a listen, you can peruse that. But I'm ready for you to tease, tickle, still cherry me right now. The story that I wanted you to tell that I think is really important for your viewers Mm -hmm. is uh, kind of your origin story about how you became an influencer. And I think the story... You mean by accident? (laughs) Well, what I was going to say is that I think the story is so important and so interesting because I think that a lot of people have a perception about influencers that we're vapid capitalist machines just some pretty girls you know looking natural and and you know sort of just hawking whatever they're told to hawk I think what's so interesting about your journey into this work is that whereas that's the perception of a lot of influencers right you actually became an influencer because you so badly wanted to eschew all of that. There's a word for the day. I, I, We're getting you ready for the SATs over here. I think that your story not only dispels a lot of common percept- misperceptions about influencing and what it really means to be an influencer, mm-hmm. but I, I think it's also a very inspiring story about you know taking your life and your career into your own hands and, and having the courage to think outside the box and to do something that I think is very hard for a lot of people, which is to adapt to the market. I think it's funny. You and I have talked a lot about dreams dying. And I remember once I told you that I just let my dreams die constantly. And that's the only way I've been adaptable is that I change my dream all the fucking time. So I wanted to start this story by actually talking to you about, you know, what was originally, I think, your life's dream, which was to be an actor. Even though you really wanted to be an actor growing up, I I think there's a lot of... uh, early instances of you actually doing influencing work as a child. Do you mean this, the time that I made every single mom within like a two mile vicinity scared of going to my house? Yes, Because exactly. of, <laughs> of my influencing power? Yes, please tell that So story. when I was a little girl, you know, I'm a biracial bitch. My mom is white. So, um, and my dad, my mom was a homemaker. My dad worked. And we had all these kids in the neighborhood come over once. And they would look at my mom and be just like, what? How did you come out of? How did this brown milk chocolate baby come out of this white chocolate lady? And I'm always gonna call your mom white chocolate lady from now on. <laughs> Danielle, the white chocolate lady. My mom was a really big baker, and she was known for her baked goods. And one of them was brownies, and she would make them every time we had this group of friends coming over. And I told them 
the reason that I was brown is because the coloring from the brownie, I would eat one every single day and it would turn my skin color brown. And this was like very, the context of the time, it has to be, this was around when like Pocahontas came out and I was like, oh yeah, like th this is about me. Like this, me and my animal friends, the, like brown princess. So my mom made extra brownies that day because all of my friends were pestering her and they ended up eating so much that they went home and like all my friends just yacked either in the car ride or at their home and everyone was calling my house regaling my mom of the story how I like cult leadership Kool-Aided everyone into eating uh, two trays full of brownies and then like everyone's parents was cleaning up their sick at night. So I guess that was the first example of a uh, misinformation campaign. Yeah, yeah. my... <laughs> I would have to say I am an uncancelable bitch because my mother Danielle has been trying to cancel this girl ever since she got her vocal cords going. You also got uh, canceled, so to speak, from, uh, as I understand, quite a successful uh, enterprising beanie. effort at oh, school. a Beanie Baby clothing making ring. Yeah, um, my mom's a homemaking queen. She taught me all kinds of skills and one of those was making Beanie Baby clothes. And I started to bring my Beanie Babies to school. I'd show them off. I'd, I'd make them a sweater. I just sew on, sometimes I sew on a button I'd find in the woods because I grew up in the Woodlands, Texas. And eventually everyone else wanted some. And I started taking everyone's like milk or like ice cream money, which is back then it was like a couple quarters. And I would go like play the slots, which in my case is like getting gack from the local like Randall's or Kroger like grocery store. Getting gack? Gack is like slime. I'm a neurodivergent kid. I love a tactile, you know me, I love a gack. <laughs> I love a tactile sensitivity thing. And my mom would never let me get that shit because she knew I had ADHD and I would just like leave it in someone's hair. or the So I would let, <laughs> let her go into Randall's and I'd be like, I'm gonna, I'll be right back. And I would be pilfering gack with my first business of Beanie Baby laundering money. I got sent home a lot those first couple of years in an organized school. So how long was it before your uh, Beanie Baby fashion business got uh, broken up? Oh, it was like the Beanie Baby fashion business was quite a long time because it was my first offense. But then, so it was like two weeks. And by the time I was hawking like Pokemon cards, they, they knew very quickly. They had someone, they had someone scheming and wheeling and dealing under there. By then you were on a watch list? I was absolutely on a watch list. Oh boy. I was kept home, like, extra hours from school constantly when I was in elementary school. You're influencing kind of from, you know, influencing people to eat so many brownies they throw up to influencing people to buy these Beanie Baby clothes. Uh, eventually, you actually told me that you worked your way from a market for children to a market for adults. Well, it's because my mom eventually was like, wow, this girl loves to just lie. We gotta... <laughs> it was more she, like, loves attention. She loves to put on a show. So my mom started putting me in, like, theater. And, like, I started, like, cultivating the storytelling technique and, like... <laughs> an art form, all this like extra energy into art. So like it kind of died down. And then eventually I was still like really passionate about beauty and things from going to theater that I got really into hair and makeup. And eventually my mom's friends would ask her like, yo, can we take Nisha to Sephora? Can we take Nisha to Ulta? And this was like in middle school. And I, they, these women were like, going on trips with me to like help them buy stuff for their hair. And I was like making recommendations and they would just buy whatever I recommended. And I like would look up, I would be like, oh yeah, 
this formula of gel has aloe in it, so it's going to moisturize your... I was like really... I really love to hyper-focus. So you've got all these like middle-aged suburban moms who are taking all of their fashion and makeup you advice. Know, mom is the market. Who is buying the most stuff? Moms. <laughs> I take it this endeavor also didn't last very long? Well, because like I grew up in the Woodlands, Texas. My mom's social circle could only afford me so many people, but <laughs> I just knew I wanted to do something. And I didn't know if it was like a journalist or an actress, but like all I saw at the time were actresses like in the magazines giving their recommendation for products. So I was like, oh, I have to become an actress to do this. Was there a specific moment when you uh, caught the bug, so to speak, the bug to trod the boards? I mean, like it's stupid. <laughs> My mom's gonna kill me if she knows this is why I started acting. There's this group of boys who were so cute to me. And like, I went to a school where it was like college prep, everyone looked like a NASA employee. And I was just like, so entranced by these like acting bad boys. And I was like, mom, I have to do summer theater. I wanna be around this fine man. <laughs> That's so embarrassing because that's also how I got involved in it at school. There's a really cute boy in Peter Pan and I was like, I think musical theater might be my thing. <laughs> I watched Bollywood movies just like on loop growing up. And if if you can, if you enjoy that in any sense, you're a theater kid. Like I, I don't make the rules, but that is the rule. I had a lot of acting like taste that had developed. I had like a really interest in the artistry um, I really felt like it was a part of my upbringing and a part of my culture even. And so I started taking it like very seriously and it became something I was really passionate about. And then I like, my mom started like showing me really cool movies with really good acting in it and like fostered that. Everything else kind of went away because I was just like, oh, I think this is what I meant to do because I also was just very good at it. I was like a pretty good singer. Um, I like won a lot of awards easily for singing. Everything was easy to me. I just felt so strongly that this was a path I was being just led to and it felt so aligned and I, it really made me fight for, you know, moving out here, um, that I also want to be closer to family, but going to California, I really wanted to do film and not theater. Can you tell me a little bit about like the process of you know, like getting into a program like SC, was every, oh. was everybody supportive? No. <laughs> um, I, so I had really, really great grades at in school. I was a National Merit Scholar. I could have gotten into the, all the AP science and math classes. In fact, I did take like AP math and got like a four or five on the exam. I was super skilled and all that. I had to be, you know, like be, you don't go to Kumon like every fucking summer and not be good at math. Like it works. Like I was a pain in the ass and I hated it and I wanted to die every time I did Kumon. But like, yeah, I was really good at math. And I had to like convince not only my parents, my school was so against it. I even had teachers being like, what are you doing? Like, yeah, I, I get that you're you're winning all these things. And but like, that's a hard life. Like, why would you want to do that? I don't want the life of a doctor like I saw my dad and how hard he had to work and I was just like I don't have that in me like I don't I'm I am disabled <laughs> I have like severe ADHD I like only feel alive when I'm doing stuff that's creative I was like if I follow that life my life's not gonna be a long one and I think ultimately saying that to my parents was like what convinced them to be supportive I had this drama director who 
Oh my gosh. He, I think people were a little more on the down low about not being as supportive, but the person who was really against it was this new acting drama director. Ever since they found out that I wanted to do this professionally and go to Los Angeles, they were like, we got to convince this girl not to do it. And he asked me to come into his office one day. And I'm literally like, oh, he's going to like congratulate me for like pursuing this. I'm thinking, because I'm still like getting all the leads. I'm still like winning awards. He sits me down. He says, I, I hear you're thinking about going to theater. I'm like so excited. I'm like, yeah, bitch. Yeah, I think I can fucking do this. Because like, you know, my mom and my dad are like, okay, we, we support you. Let's, I have everyone on my team. This guy looks me in the eye. And he's like, I would never recommend this to like my child this life. He said, you know why? Because they don't make stuff for people like you out there. And out there meant Los Angeles. I remember just like not really understanding what that meant. I just thought it just meant like, like me, Nisha. Like I really didn't understand a lot of like racism. I think also, cause I spent most of my time with my mom, um, especially in high school. There's no way that like she can prepare me for racism in the way a non-white mom could. And like, that's not a fault of hers. It's just that that's a reality of having mixed race children. Like you won't be able to identify with all parts of them or help with all parts of them. It set off something in me where I was like, oh, fuck you. I went home, I told my mom and she was like, fuck this guy too. My mom and I would have these long chats and I was like, don't you see like, this is why it is so important for someone like me. And I remember talking to her and like opening up about how I grew up. I remember like looking at magazines and looking at TV and just being feeling like such a freak and feeling so invisible and feeling so ugly just because there was no reference point in popular media for me or a person even slightly like me to exist. And it was like devastating for my mental health growing up. And I was just like, I have to make a space where people like me aren't stereotyped, aren't like, and I was talking about this like in high school, like growing up in a small town in a predominantly white Christian place in Texas will radicalize you from a very early age. And my mom was like, I think this girl's in it to win it, like, let's go. So me and my mom would sit down and we'd look at all the programs and how to get in acting schools. And I wanted to like, just peace out and go to California. But um, I started looking at what programs would make the kind of content that I wanted, or not content, but like films I wanted to make. You know, my school would always tell me this. They would always put me as like the female lead, the sexy one, or like the one brown person in the show. So I didn't really have any authority on what parts I got to play. Even if my my vocal range matched like a lead, if the lead was white, I would never get cast. It was so disempowering I felt like I had to fight against all this and I was like okay if I have to be in front of the screen and I just have to be a pretty face like everyone else says I am that's fine meanwhile I had been making like little films on Facebook like every single week because my mom wouldn't let me post on Facebook because this girl was like this child's too powerful <laughs> My mom was like, do not go public yet. Grow up a little bit. You're kind of an idiot right now. Like, you need to be safe. I was like doing exactly what I do every single day now. 
just developing my skills. But you didn't even know it was for what you're doing. I had no idea I would be doing it right now because I always thought like, okay, just like YouTube's just this little baby thing that I like would binge watch all the time. I was obsessed with. And I felt very weird and disenfranchised like growing up and YouTube was a place for just that. Anyone who grew up in the early 2000s who was chronically online will understand when I talk about like how Tumblr, how MySpace, how Facebook, all these little social platforms were really a place for people who like didn't get, have many friends. And because I couldn't go to the youth groups or the, you know, the Christian drive-in theater or like church, there was a lot of times where there's no one to hang out with after school. And I was just like on the internet learning all kinds of shit. <laughs> figuring out what hair product or makeup, the internet really became my friends and my interests became such a big part of my personality that it was so developed during that time of loneliness. Spring comes senior year and you get into some programs, right? During my last year of high school, I was just going on tons of auditions because people were telling me I couldn't do it. And then suddenly I just got into all these freaking programs like all over the country. The one I had dreamed about because it had film voice acting, I was like, this is the place to go. And when I got in there, I, it was like, no one could tell me shit. I didn't even tell anyone at my school. I just like came in the college sweatshirt day in the USC sweatshirt. And like, I remember my, my fucking acting teacher, when he saw me in the USC, he looked at me and he was like, acting program. And I was like, acting program. That man's fucking skin was I just saw all the blood just draw out of his forehead out of his neck and I was like <laughs> I was like yeah baby you messed with the wrong woman of color bitch it was great all he had to say to me was well you're gonna need a car get a car I was like cool thank you so much so I'm at USC I'm taking the fucking classes like I'm working my ass off I am taking I took my craft seriously like I would go home and study I would watch movies videos like I absorbed everything I was like not only in it for the acting programs but I got really into lighting and such so I was I was a theater's girly pop it's it's hard like especially that I was a bachelor of arts and not a bachelor of fine arts where you like get a spot in the shows at USC like you have to work to get your spots, to get into the film program. I think that sense of work ethic and not having things as easy during high school really put me on a path of like always thinking ahead, always being like, okay, what's the next goal? What's the next thing I have to do to book, to start lining up parts in order for me to, because I never really wanted to be in like films and movies. I really wanted to be on like sitcoms and commercials, mostly because I like the lifestyle of not having <laughs> to like do the arduous work of like flying somewhere and staying there and like not having like a really good home life. Cause I always wanted to have like a, a family. So at first it's, it's pretty great. It's like very exciting. I am booking stuff that no other people are booking and I'm, I'm getting called into all these things and I'm, I'm giving the middle finger to that fucking drama teacher that said I would never get in and they don't make parts like this because there's this big revolution that's going on in the acting world if <laughs> you have to be living on the rock to not notice that more and more people of color are being included and stuff. I was starting to build the resume. I, I started getting more and more sponsors. There was acting studios in LA who really, really liked me. I remember I had um, booked a few spots through this one studio and they called me in for a Disney spot. And if you know me, I'm a 
musical theater bitch. I love a song and dance and a story. And Disney, like if you ask my high school besties <laughs> what I was like, I was just, I loved Disney. I loved musical theater. And to be in a Disneyland commercial. You also loved the, the amusement park too. I love Disneyland. You were it's, always begging me to take you and I'm not a big amusement park guy. So He doesn't I was, get I was like, it. Uh... He doesn't get it. You need to fully, being a Disney adult is like a gift. You get to just, be in touch with your joy all the time. So I get called in for this Disney commercial. We go to the audition and it's another lineup with a bunch of people and we're sitting there and they have us just go down the line. I'm obviously in the group of people of color. <laughs> you come in, everyone has a version of your face. You walk in, you say hi to the person taking names. They take your name. They give you absolutely no attention because they're doing this for 5,000 other people. You come in, you sit down, you shut your fucking mouth. Maybe say hi. They're judging you from there. You don't talk. So everyone has a version of your face. You say hi, what's up? We, we, should probably, we could probably be friends if we weren't going against each other for so many things. Cool. You sit next to them and they cattle call you up in different orders based on the parts you're going to fill. So there's like a line of niches and then there's a line of like some other ethnic group of actors and then they call you in. They turn on the cameras. They basically beg you to not be an asshole. They're like, please, we're trying to get this on tape for bigger wigs up there. And you go down a line and they just basically ask you whatever fucking questions you have. Like, what's your favorite color? If you were a banana, how would you be peeled? Like, <laughs> what kind of lettuce would you be? And tell us the salad dressing you would choose. Like, cr like just the weirdest things. And you know, you, I know in particular, you fucking hate this. I do fucking hate this, and I've booked zero commercials as a result. <laughs> well, guess who loves that shit? Nisha Balsara. I, of course I want to tell you the answer to that. That sounds fun. Do you remember what they asked you at that Disney uh, audition? I don't remember particularly what they asked you in the first round, because the first round, they're just showing it like to the casting director, and he's like, okay, this one looks normal. We're standing in a line, and they decide to ask us, who is your favorite Disney character and why? And everyone goes down the row, my favorite's Peter Pan because he never grew up. Someone said something super obscure and I was like, okay, good for you. You did your homework. Then there's this guy next to me. He says, Hercules, because I love a hero's journey. And I was like, okay. And they come to me and I say, Mulan. And he goes in the middle of my audition, in the middle of my audition. He goes, chicks always choose Mulan. And I literally... Like the conjuring, turn my neck slowly and look at him. And I said, yeah, because Mulan is smart, strong, saves her country and would do anything for her family. And I, I literally on the do anything for her family looked into camera. And then I just gave him a little smile. Power move. <laughs> if I got anything, it's salt, rage and spunk. <laughs> We're driving home. I would call you. I'm like, this asshole just blew my fucking entire audition. Like, he interrupted me. And now I look like an asshole because I, like, am reading his, his rights on camera. Later that night, my agent called me. I fucking booked it. <laughs> and it was the most exciting thing ever. Like, this was something I waited for my whole life. I was like, oh, my gosh. I'm pretty sure this commercial was getting shown around The Bachelor. Like, it was a big fucking deal. It wasn't just a commercial spot. It was national billboards. It was spots in magazines. Like this was a big fucking deal. Um, I got paid for like the time that they spent 
trying to dress me for it. It was exciting. Like that is like a really big deal commercial. So you book this commercial. It's This is like a dream come true for you, right? And then what happens? It was the coolest experience. I don't think you have to love Disney to have gone through this experience and been like, this was so sick. Like being able to see the background of Disneyland and not be a cast member, having to sign waivers of having to behave, like learning how to behave like a cast member if you're gonna be on Disneyland set, uh, seeing like how it works from the backstage perspective. So it was a 24 hour film, which I was like sweating about. I was just like, what? I have to be awake for 24 hours? Cause they closed down the park and light it like it's the day during the middle of the night to shoot their commercial. It is, it is the backstage. It is just like being backstage, but you're at Disneyland. And this is, we were working from um, when the park closes, which is like, I think 10 p.m. through park opening. So 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. But we were there before getting hair and makeup. So this is at night, we come in at night, we're shooting all through midnight. Like everyone there is so chill and cool and excited. Cause like, this is like such an honor. To, to be able to do this, to see the park, to be able to engage with the Disneyland park, like completely closed off to the public is something that, I mean, just like no one gets to do that. It was so amazing. And I remember feeling like when I was driving over there, I was like, this is everything I've ever worked for for years. This is it. Like this it's like once you have a Disneyland spot on your resume, you can get a lot of commercials with that spot. I knew it was a very prestigious honor. And I get there, it's so exciting. And then halfway through, I'm going through getting the, the pictures taken, you know, doing my best being a model, doing like the voiceover bits, filming all the like industrial footage that they want, you know, doing everything. And you're just on rides. Like they're just filming you on rides. They film you on rides. They film you eating hot dog. They film you drinking Sprite, like everything. They want like pictures of every single thing in the park. They're so cool with me being vegan. They knew they had a vegan lunch for me. I got to do all the vegan foods at Disney. It was fantastic. It was the best experience I could have ever had on set. And then about in the middle of the night, I was like, I'm not enjoying this at all. So I start feeling kind of like, I, like I'm like, what is going on? I'm like super tired and I'm like grumpy, but I was like, I, I'm supposed to be happy being here. And I am posing and doing the laugh on cue and doing everything I've trained for, um, doing well but I'm, I feel like empty. And I was just like, oh, I, I kind of want to be at home with my dog. <laughs> and I kind of feel like I'm just this prop. I looked at everyone else who was enjoying it and I was like, I'm not like volunteering so excitedly to go on the Incredicoaster. Like I remember this guy came out and he's like, okay, who wants to go? On the Incredicoast, you're gonna get like this many second spots of just your face and your reaction. He's like looking at me. I literally look around and I'm like, anyone? Anyone? I was just like, why am I not volunteering? And then I'm like sitting on this bench. It's like made out of Disneyland lollipops. And I'm just like, this is like, I'm looking around. It's so cute. Everything is great. I'm looking at the stage hands. I'm looking at the kind of camera that they're using and I'm looking at their screen and I'm like, wait, 
being on camera is not an, not it. It's not enough. Something is missing. Do you think that that was something that just like hit you all at once? Like, or do you think that that was like a realization that had been cooking for a while that like kind of, I don't know, the, the pressure of the shoot like brought that out of you? I feel like I had been feeling it for a while, but because everything I booked wasn't such a long shoot day and like... I had never been this successful before. <laughs> like usually I would come in, it would be a tiny bit and I would just pray that I would get included in the final cut. Like when I worked with College Humor, I was just praying that my bit got put in and it didn't and I was so disappointed. So I was like, I was just waiting to like finally get my break. And then once I got my break, I was like, I don't want to do anymore. I don't want to use this as a stepping stone. Like this isn't, I don't want to do this again. And it's not because it was a terrible experience. It's just inside of me for a while as I told you I loved auditioning I loved the thrill of booking things I loved doing the research to get the part but then when we were there I was always like just kind of like okay I'm just here to stand in front of the camera and perform which is fun no one tells you this but when you're an actor and if you don't know anything different you don't see anything you just come in and you it's it's like it's kind of like you just black out and you just like imagine you come in and you do a whole performance for just like a camera and no one ever sees it and you never see what it's done with and then one day you eventually see like three seconds of your face on a commercial and I was like this is so <laughs> I feel like I did nothing <laughs> and it felt really disconnected from the world too it felt really insular and the success was lonely. You know, it's interesting. You were talking about uh, being on that set and noticing the cameras that they're using, looking at what the grips are doing and like what the camera ops are doing. Why, why was that something that was so interesting to you at that time? Because I wanted to make better content. All the while, I had been pursuing this acting career, which I thought was like, this is the career. Like I'm doing all the things right. I'm checking the boxes. I was doing this little fruity little thing called YouTube. I would get back from, you know, whether it was like the times that I was like a babysitter or a personal assistant or like I, that one time I was cater waitering, I would like come home wanting to make something and be creative and do what I was doing in school, which was creative. And I would make YouTube videos. I had gotten sick. I wasn't as mobile as able to do as many things. And I just was like falling in love with YouTube so much. I loved that it was just like a great equalizer. Like if you had a camera, <laughs> you could make a video. And there are so many times where I, I couldn't go out and party because I was sick or I couldn't go out drinking because I had this like disease. Like what am I going to do all night? Can't get shit faced and go get wasted. But I'm, I can stay home and make a YouTube video and just shoot the shit with some random people on the internet. And I started to form a relationship with the people on the internet that were watching my things that surprisingly weren't the people who I was making stuff for. I thought like my family would watch it or my best friend who lived far away would watch it. And I just got really into wanting to make them really fun, engaging stuff that we could like chat about in the comments. And it was so exciting and I felt so close to something and I started getting really good at editing. I started getting so many skills, whether it was um, marketing or like how to write a script for something to make it go viral. There was this like puzzle piece, algorithmic aspect to this filmmaking medium of socializing. And I was just 
enamored with it. So this community that I was starting to build online was like satisfying, like, you know, how I was telling people to eat brownies or like, you know, talking to my mom's friends. I was like, oh, I can really like interact with people and make stuff to help or to ask questions or to just document. And I started realizing the part that I was loving wasn't just this performance. Look at me. I'm a pretty face. I can act my ass off. I can belt super high. It was the entire process of creating this little delicious appetizer of a video and the whole entire process of like selecting the music, selecting the subject, doing your research, asking questions, building something that is formative and inspirational and, and has a certain look that cultivates artistry. And my mom being an artist, I just looked up to her so much growing up and saw how much she could do. And she just believed that she could do everything. And I have kind of that too much, I can do anything toxic gene. And I just thought I can do this by myself and I can have a hand in selecting the camera and selecting the mics and how it looks and how I color treat it. I can really show the world how I see it through my eyes and explore this beautiful thing called life through YouTube. And I didn't just feel like this talking head, like this just actress. I felt like someone who had made their own happiness. I see myself as the Keebler elf and the video as the cookie. You know what I mean? <laughs> YouTube and Instagram and TikTok, they're just the trees that I'm baking in that day, you know? Similarly to you, this is where my professional experience starts to diverge from what I thought it would be to kind of this world that, mm -hmm. not that I found first, but that you found first. Right. Um, you know, I remember uh, at the time I was, uh, you know, my survival job, I was driving an Uber Right. And uh, I remember I picked up a guy, some like music industry guy, mm -hmm. and we were like, you know, having a conversation. It was a fairly long ride. And, you know, he's asking me what you did. And I'm, I'm saying, oh, she's, uh, you know, she's an actor, but she also has a YouTube channel. And he was like, how long has she been doing it? And I was like, oh, about a year or so. And he was like, how many, how many subscribers does she have? And I was like, oh, uh, at this point, like, you know, several thousand. And he like, he was like, whoa, wait. <laughs> You're telling me she got like 7,000 subscribers in like one, in her first year? And I was like, yeah, you know? Yeah. And, and it's important to point out, if you don't know social media, a lot of people who get like this, these big followings like very quickly, they've been doing this shit for forever. Like they have been, they've been doing the MySpace, they've been doing the Tumblr, they've been doing the Pinterest, they've been blogging, they've been going on reality shows. Which this guy understood because of he was in music and it worked with a lot yeah. of influencers, people online before. He understood this very well. And so he's like, stop. She has this many followers after a year? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, she's gonna be a star. And I remember being proud of you again, not because of like the numbers, but because this is something that you really, I think you really got into like for the right reasons and, and for the, you know, not to sound like this is a bachelor tell all in general, she's not here for the right reasons, but the, the level of passion that you had found, it's, it's really intoxicating to be around somebody who has that level of passion for what they do. And that really inspired me. I've always wanted to tell stories. That's why I got into filmmaking. It's why I was an actor before and why similarly to you, I fell out of it. And um, it really, that really like inspired me to start looking for like, what other mediums can I use right. 
to do the same thing that I'm passionate about, telling stories. If you are a creative, I'm not going to lie. This work is, to make the money is easy. To make content, to make the cookies, to be the Keeler elf is fucking hard. It is no surprise to me that so many people will, you know, pop up real fast, crash and burn, make tons of money, and then there's nothing left for them because you don't spend time building. And I think I've been lucky in the sense that I didn't, come to this being like I want everyone to look at me I want everyone to like click my outfits like yeah I do like enjoy that to a certain extent but really I'm really here to do is just do what I've always been doing which is like making good whatever's documenting life making little cookies and art whoever your favorite influencer is they probably feel a very similar way and and it's it is yeah. it is precisely that passion for what they do that that is why they're your favorite influencer and is why exactly. they have whatever success that they have if you are listening to this and you are an influencer like please don't mark one banner year as like the rest of your life i think a lot of people get into this because they see one person or they have one big banner year and they think like i'm gonna be rich and then they forget like why they even do this or they never got into it for the right reasons to begin with this is a very dangerous and volatile industry for anyone with that kind of intention. But if you are an actor, if you are a creative and you are passionately curious about life and the human condition, like you can use these platform, these trees to bake some really good cookies. The Keebler thing is killing I'm me. I'm not gonna stop. Do you remember your first brand deal? I remember that Traditional Medicinals sent me some free tea and a tea hat and I kept that tea hat to this day cause like, I was like, I'm famous. I, I took a really like schmangy picture for them and they sent me so much free tea and I like, I love traditional medicinals, peppermint tea with a passion. And yeah, I was like, I texted all my friends. I was like, look, he sent me free tea and they're like, bitch, we don't care. Like that's so <laughs> dumb. Shortly after the Disney commercial, the pandemic began and I was like, yo, if I have to like not go in for an audition, it's taken everything that I like out of this industry and I quit right there on the spot. I was like, I'm done. And I remember everyone thought I was losing my mind, but it's been the best thing ever. And I started really working on trying to get to know this industry. Um, I worked on the show for a couple years. I did so much research just figuring out, okay, like, can this be a job? Can this be a job in a way that is ethical to me, um, in a way that serves my greater purpose and, like, what I creatively desire to get out there? And, like, for the last couple years, I've just been influencing it up. It felt really weird and really, um, I had so much imposter syndrome because I'm not like, I, I didn't come to this thinking this would be what I would be doing, but I just had to play around and figure out and be like, what am I making? What is going to make me happy? Like I threw shit at the wall. I would do like six months, like going hard on TikTok, And I've been finally trying to piece together what my opinions are on social media, because I also I didn't come to social media thinking since social media had no flaws. There's a lot of scary things about it. There's a lot of things that I don't agree. There are a lot of unethical algorithms out there. But then when I started examining that and I spent this time like, okay, figuring out okay, how, do we, how do we have money? What can we expect for a year being an influencer? What can we expect? Like, how can I budget this? What are taxes gonna be like? And now I'm finally coming out of the flop. I feel like I know what I'm doing to be able to like have this be a career 
have this be able to serve a greater community. So to be honest, just for the last couple years, I've just been influencing to figure out the business aspect of it because you can't just come in and start. I think a lot of people like make the big mistake and in, in putting all of their eggs and all of their creative juices into one big project. And I know from years of doing this now, you have to kind of parcel it out and figure out how to balance that along with the ad aspect of it in order to finance those other projects. Yes, the work of being an influencer is lucrative, but like I have to go back to creating content. And I just started like feeling so shitty making smaller projects, no matter if a piece is 15 seconds or an hour long because of my training, because of what I like and what satisfies me, I'm gonna put my whole butt into it, you know? And having these shorter things where I have to like basically scan the audience into paying attention to me, I was like, I can't do this for the majority of my content. It, it, I look around, everyone's on their fucking phone, everyone's scrolling, no one's happy, no one is looking up and touching grass. <laughs> and so when I saw you starting to do this podcasting and learning all these things behind the scenes, and I'm like, oh, man, like, I would much rather be doing a podcast like this. He's making stuff that's like, Pete doesn't take away from people's time. Like this is, this is really captivating and life enhancing things. I think the story of my professional life is that which I feel is most uninteresting to me or most unappealing to me ends up being that which I get sort of sucked into doing and finding value and, and uh, purpose in that. I remember, uh, I don't know, it was years ago, there was a short-lived TV show with Zach Braff, and the premise of the show was that he quits his job as a lawyer. We watched it together. Mm -hmm. uh, he quits his job as like a lawyer to start a podcast, and I remember we watched a couple episodes of that show, and I was like, what a silly, stupid premise for a show. <laughs> like, the podcasting, like, it wasn't even that there's no money in it. I was like, nobody's listening to those. I'm literally gobbling up, like, five podcasts a day during the pandemic. Contrary to what I thought I would ever be doing, I realized, you know, the pandemic hits, there's no real opportunities for film at this point. And I was like, how can I use the same skills that I have now and just... Put it, turn it into, put it into a medium where there are opportunities, where right. people are listening, where people are open to hear stories, you know, that that have meaning and and that um, are important to hear, that like actually bring value to people's lives. And I think that that's funny too, because another area where I never thought I would be working in a million bajillion years yeah. was marketing and PR. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's girly stuff. I don't, you know. Yeah, I really thought that. And, and here I am now helping you film campaigns. It's so funny because I have worked primarily with women because I've worked in marketing and social for so long that it's really fun to have someone on the team who has no experience and brings such a fresh perspective. It's really fun. I mean, I'm glad my perspective is fresh. I, I, I guess part of it's fresh is because I always feel like I'm learning. I, this is not... Even though I did go to school for a lot of these, th you know, and yeah. a lot of the stuff I learned at school and through my experience on sets, I still use with you every day. Mm -hmm. It does feel like a very new experience. If you want to make a podcast, especially the ones that I desire to make, they do require like a little bit of professionalism. And I think you breathe a good whisper of that into here. I have gotten so many notes that things are much more concise. And <laughs> well, I certainly do try. Thank you. <laughs> 
CEO of Wrangling My Ass. Facts. <laughs> I think the lesson here from where I sit is that you go through your professional life developing skills. I say this all the time. I say this to all my friends. I say this to random people I meet on the street. I'm like, if you hate what you're doing now, as someone who has like done so many things that make me just want to die, but I just let those dreams die and I create new ones. It takes courage to admit when something that you've wanted your entire life just isn't working and not even like not isn't working in terms of like, I'm not finding success, but my success in this isn't making me happy. And I'm really, I'm really curious. And I think a lot of your listeners would be as well. Like, how are you able to sort of get in touch with that so quickly? Because I mean, you realized while you were still on the set of that Disney commercial that this wasn't working, that this was kind of a a dead end for you. Growing up in the place I did, having parents who really struggled, I think this like scarcity mindset is something I've had growing up and feeling where I, I mean, it's been a super detrimental, but it's also been key in surviving in this industry. It's like my dad always told me, I ideas have the shelf life of a banana. As soon as it's peeled, it's gonna rot. So I've always just known like, if something is feeling off, you gotta like question that and and ask yourself the questions and like really listen to how you're feeling. Cause like that is like a whole nother mind going inside of your, your analytical mind is like how you're feeling. If I just pushed through and just been like, I have to do a good job, I have to keep going. But I felt my feelings on that set and I was like, this is not how I ever wanna feel again, why? And it wasn't like the next day I was like, I'm quitting, like this was a very, hefty decision like I spent years cultivating I spent countless hours but I was like you know what my mom always said like even if you're just studying acting right now it's going to help you perform whether you want to be a lawyer or businessman business person doctor there are skills to be learned from everything you do and when we concentrate less on what we like appear like on social media because I think a lot of People are, are, they sell hooks, they sell classes, they tell you you need to talk a certain way, look a certain way. Um, when we concentrate on all these like external factors, it's only gonna separate you from like your real art more. And we talked about that all the time in, in college and it's something I now see, they told us we would see. Spending time alone, cultivating your own taste and your own, for lack of better word, dharma, like actually getting to know yourself you're never gonna go in the wrong direction when you know your skills, where you need to earn more skills in. That can only be practiced by having more intimate alone time with yourself, your thoughts, your feelings. And I think one thing I like about podcasting is that it kind of, it doesn't visually take up any of your mental space and it really gets your brain in a conversational tone that when I know when I turn off a podcast, especially like the ones I try to create, I want people to sit in silence for a second and just like absorb it. I do that all the time and formulate my own thoughts and opinions. And this is like what you would do with scene building as, as an actor. You would sit there and you would imagine, you would dream. And I am just saying like character development isn't just for the arts. It's also for everyday life because what are we what are characters they're human beings living a story if you just follow that you're gonna go in a right place i think that's great advice thank you so much for coming on lilas thank you so much for having me
please be sure to rate this five stars. I don't want to see anything less. And follow along at Nish Balsara. Bye. Thank you for listening to Biracial and Bitchy. Be sure to rate us five stars because remember, karma is a relaxing thought. And do a bitch a favor. Share this episode with a friend. Bye.